Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, March 29th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Broadway World's Julie Muspeck. And I'm the theater throwback's Daniela Parcel. Guys, uh, James is not here because he is currently at Frozen, but that almost didn't happen because Patty Murin is out of last night's show because apparently she has bronchitis. James did not get his tickets canceled, although some other press members did get their tickets canceled. They wouldn't let him cancel. Uh, I don't know why. He's a drama desk voter. You would think they would want somebody who would be up for a drama desk to be there when a drama desk voter is there, but apparently James is not important enough to A, get tickets to see Bruce Springsteen, or B, to get a ticket to see Patty in Frozen. So I, I'm, I'm afraid whenever you guys are back on a show with him, you might want to treat him a little gently because I think his ego is taking a hit here today because he had like nine people send him their Springsteen codes and he still couldn't find a ticket for under $850. So everybody out there, you two included, let's let's be nice to James today. Okay. <laughs> send, send, him, send him a nice little message on Twitter or something, everybody. But okay, so real quick things that I want to run through before we get to the news. Yesterday, Donna, the Summer Donna musical. No, strike that. Reverse it. Summer, the Donna Summer musical, still the stupidest name in Broadway history, began performances at the Luntfontan Theater. The musical will officially open on April 23rd. Congratulations to everyone involved with the production. Of course, LaShawns, Ariana DeBose, Storm Lever as the three different Donnas. We'll obviously talk about this throughout the next month leading up to its opening. Speaking of openings, Pretty Woman officially opened in Chicago's Oriental Theater last night, starring Samantha Barks and Steve Kazee, Orfei, Jason Daniel Lee, Kingsley Legs, and so on and so forth. We'll probably have some reviews on tomorrow's show, but in the meantime, um, if you want to check out the B-roll highlights from the show, we'll have that in the show notes. And then tonight, the uh, Broadway transfer of Tom Stoppard's Travesties begins performances for the Roundabout Theater at the American Airlines Theater. Uh, Julie, you'll have an article that goes up uh, later this morning on Broadway World, kind of highlighting some of the uh, the cast members. So if people want to have a little bit more insight into who's in this show, they can check that out. We'll have the link in the show notes as well. But lots of stuff going on here at this time of the year. Always something new opening up pretty much every day. All right, and in other news, we've got Beetlejuice the musical announcing a fall Washington D.C. premiere. Yeah, yesterday you you and James talked about um, Dave the musical being a movie to stage adaptation, beginning its life in Washington D.C. And today, yesterday, we had another one as producers announced that the stage musical adaptation of the cult film Beetlejuice will make its world premiere at Washington D.C.'s National Theater this fall under the direction of two-time Tony nominee Alex Timbers. They didn't exactly make the dates or any casting information available yet, but I would imagine if it's, you know, six months away, we'll start getting some more information slowly. But we did learn that joining Timbers on the creative team will be Connor Gallagher as the choreographer, David Corrins on sets, William Ivy Long on costumes, Kenneth Posner on lighting, Peter Holinsky on sound, and more. Interestingly, if you know the movie, and we're going to talk about that because I have a feeling you two are going to disappoint me. But interestingly, Michael Curry, who was involved, um, was one of the design team members for The Lion King on Broadway. He will be designing the show's puppets, whatever that means. And Michael Weber, who is a, uh, a film uh, designer, will be creating illusions for the show. Of course, the film has a lot of magic involved, so I would I would think that this would... Translate well to the stage with some illusions, some puppets. There's also 
a, uh, a projection designer involved as well. The musical features an original score by Eddie Perfect, who also wrote the 975th version of the score for the upcoming King Kong musical, and will feature a book by Scott Brown and Anthony King. Back in October, James and I talked about the workshops of the show, which at that point featured Alex Brightman as the titular demon, Carrie Butler and Danny Pudi as the Maitlands, and Sophia Ann Caruso as Lydia. I would expect that if I had to guess that Alex and Sophia Ann would continue with the projects project, obviously Carrie Butler is currently playing multiple roles in the mean girls musical. So I don't know that she would leave to go out of town with another show. Um, and then Danny Pudi is a working TV actor and I think he does stand up as well. So I'm not sure about their involvement, but uh, it'll be interesting to see who is a part of this because with someone one like Alex Timbers at the helm, this could be a really, really interesting show. And I, I love the movie and I have my Beetlejuice Funko pop on my shelf behind me. But now you two, at this point, I feel like I'm setting myself up for disappointment by even asking this question, but is there any chance that either of you have seen this film? Daniela, I'm guessing it's a no for you. Actually, what? Um, what? No, okay, I've seen the first like three minutes. Oh my lord! Um, <laughs> but I was really young, and I was with my friend, and she got scared, so we turned it off. I mean, considering, but I think record, I get points for a trying. Yeah, I mean, it, given the track record of me asking similar questions of you on previous episodes, like that is technically a win comparatively. <laughs> Still a loss overall, but a win comparatively. <laughs> Now, Julie, you have a degree in screenwriting, so please tell me you've seen this. Of course I've seen it. I've seen it more than once. For real, or are you just saying that? No, for real, of course. Okay. It's Beetlejuice. Uh, Who hasn't seen Beetlejuice other than Daniela? Well, I was going to say she Daniela, kind of has. Yeah. yeah, okay, so that's good. So what do you think about, again, you're a screenwriter by degree, what do you think about the ability to translate this to the stage? you think this is a, a, a musical that would make sense? I think it has more potential than anything else I've seen lately, but I still don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's necessary, but I don't think it would be terrible. And it has a lot of potential depending on how they do it and what they focus on, I guess. What do you uh, what do you mean by it not being necessary just because the film is so good or are you just tired of stage or screen to stage adaptations in general? Both. Yeah, I I don't think it's time for another one. I don't think we need another one right now. I think it's not a bad idea, but yeah, I don't think it needs to be made into a musical, and I don't think we need any more film adaptation musicals. Yeah, I, I this debate annoys me because I have no problem with it as long as they're good. <laughs> but um, we can argue about Beetlejuice when it gets uh, when it gets to Washington D.C. at some point later this year. But anyway, moving on. What else do we have, Julie? All right, so the critics have weighed in on Rocktopia's Broadway debut. Oh, boy, did they ever. Uh, James, you talked to James about his experience with Rocktopia yesterday. Oh, he loved it. He, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But as we know, James, I feel like, honestly, I feel like I sit, spend most of these episodes talking and James just ignores me because apparently he had no idea what this show was, even though I feel like I've talked about it a hundred times over the past few months but anyway I like that too i have yeah i know i've read the description to him at least once yeah i i feel like we need to start calling james on his not listening i, I know that he <laughs> has like nine gazillion other things but come on man anyway the show officially opened at broadway's broadway theater uh, earlier this week and it was odd because there weren't a ton of reviews so i'm not sure if 
certain publications just didn't send their reviewers or if only certain ones were actually invited. But the show is kind of a mashup of classical music and classic rock, and it has a now rotating, I guess, um, stable of semi-pop and rock stars that'll be lending their voices. Patrick Moynihan from Train, who is one weird dude, is currently in there. We talked yesterday, or you talked yesterday, about Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister will be joining as well. That is his Broadway return, I believe, because I think he at one point was a cast member in Rock of Ages, but I don't know if that was on or off Broadway. Um, and then the lead singer of Cheap Trick uh, will be uh, joining as well. That's Robin Zander, a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, will be joining for the final weeks of the show. It will run at the Broadway Theater through April 29th. Of course, assuming these reviews don't tank it. I mean, it did do $800,000 in its first week on Broadway. But Elizabeth Vincitelli, uh, writing for the New York Times, and man, I really wish that she had a regular reviewing gig rather than just being like the third stringer for the Times. But anyway, she wrote, quote, Ultimately, though, the real problem is the set list's utter blandness. Commingling rock and classical music has birthed, uh, has birthed such widely diverse artifacts as Emerson, Lake, and Palmer's cover of Aaron Copland's Fanfare for the Common Man, the Metallica San Francisco Symphony collaboration S&M, and the popular prog band Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Sadly, no such ear-bending ambition is in evidence in this show's selections. Taken individually, these songs are in the canon for a reason, of course. One after another, their effect is numbing. Judging by the evidence on stage here, if classical music spawned one thing, it is the power ballad. That is something that James mentioned in his or in his review, mini-review yesterday. He said it was ballad after ballad after ballad. Joe Dominowitz of the Daily News said, quote, if the notion of Mozart, Mozart's, Mozart, I'm struggling over Mozart's and the actual hard words are coming up here. If the notion of Mozart's exuberant Ina Kleina knocked music, how is my German there, Julie? Good. Well, you spelled it in the script phonetically, so yes, of course. that makes me a little less impressed. Do you know I mean, what it means? Well, it's a little night music. Yeah, that's where the... Yeah. The name comes from for the musical. I knew that. I just I, I didn't want to screw it up. I screw up pronunciations often, but I always try to find them. And if I can find them, I try to write them out to get it right. But Ina Kleina knocked music. Apparently, I couldn't pronounce Mozart right. But anyway, if the notion of Mozart's exuberant Ina Kleina knocked music married to Sticks guitar grinding come sail away or a lush handle aria bleeding into elton john's plaintive don't let the sun go down on me sounds like music to your ears this may be the mashup for you otherwise not so much enough said frank sheck of the hollywood reporter said quote Rock and classical music had a shotgun wedding, and their love child is on Broadway in the form of Rocktopia. Not since K-Tel's best-selling Hooked on Classics series in the 80s has there been such a misguided attempt to combine two musical forms. These reviews, as I said, seem to be pretty much in line with what James said on yesterday's show. As a reminder, um, if you didn't hear it, he said, if someone offers you a free ticket to Rocktopia, turn it down and go to the dentist instead. So <laughs> hopefully uh, he thinks better of Frozen and then Angels in America, which he's seeing uh, later this week. Uh, so the next time he's on, hopefully he'll have some nice things to say about that. But not not good. And I had high expectations. I think you both either have been on or heard me say, like, I was optimistic about this because I've seen things like this that were fun. Apparently, this sucks. All right. So what do we have in show and casting news? Okay. On the same day as Pretty Woman's Chicago opening, this feels uh, appropriate to be discussing because back in 2016, James and I talked about the musical adaptation of the Gary Marshall film, The Flamingo Kid. At the time, the show was aiming for a Broadway premiere 
I mean, right about now, spring of 2018. But yesterday we learned that the show would in fact have its world premiere at the Hartford stage next summer under the direction of the company's artistic director, Tony winner Darko Treznik. As we've talked about before, he will be stepping down from the Hartford stage just about that time, so I have a feeling this will be the last thing he does for the company. He will be re-teaming with Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder co-writer Robert L. Friedman, who will handle the book and lyrics, and Grey Garden's war paint composer Scott Frankel, who will write the music. The show will run from May 9th through June 2nd, pending any potential extensions, of course, and is described thusly. Quote, in the summer of 1963, against the wishes of his father, Brooklyn teenager Jeffrey Winnick leaves behind his blue-collar roots for an exciting job working as a cabana boy at the colorful El Flamingo, a posh private club on Long Island. I'm sure James frequented that place many times in the 80s. The music, the romance, and the beach are magical until tensions grow between father and son when a slick club member takes Jeffrey under his wing. Um, I, I'm not even going to ask you guys if you've seen this movie, because until this announcement came out two years ago, I'd never heard of this film. Uh, but apparently it launched Matt Dillon's screen career, so thank you, I guess. Anyway, um, in other show and casting news, yesterday the Public Theater announced that the theater's annual gala will be a performance of the groundbreaking and thought-provoking musical Runaways by Elizabeth Swados on Monday, June 11th at the Delacorte Theater. Directed by Sam Pinkleton, with choreography by Annie Taj, the end creative advisement by Janine Tesori, the highly anticipated summer gala Under the Stars will celebrate the 40th anniversary of this milestone production that first premiered at the Public in 1978. This team worked together on an off-center concert production of The Runaways back during the 2016 uh, summer season over at New York City Center. So imagine not only will they bring a similar kind of vibe to this, but maybe even some of the cast members. Gala tickets go on sale at a staggeringly affordable $750. There'll be a nice reception and, and drinks and stuff beginning at 6 o'clock on the 11th before the performance actually begins at 8. If you would like to drop that kind of coin, we have the information on how to do so in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. All right, next up, John Legend gives us a behind-the-scenes look at what's the buzz rehearsal. Yes, um, I realize that because you two are like, I'm still older than both of you combined. Like, I don't understand what's exciting to the youths out there. But this Sunday's live concert production of Jesus Christ Superstar is very exciting to me. And as more information's kind of been rolled out about what this production is going to look like, I'm getting even more excited. And then yesterday... Springfield, Ohio's own John Legend did a Facebook Live behind the scenes because it literally was behind the scene. You can see the audience, the seats and everything in the video of an onstage rehearsal for What's the Buzz. Um, great song. You, it's this great cast. You see a lot of the set and kind of see what the vibe of this is. I am very excited about this. I said when this was announced, I've said it before this was announced, that I thought Jesus Christ Superstar was one of the few musicals that could actually work in a live television production. And the more we see of it, the more uh, excited I am and the better I think it's going to be. So did either of you guys get a chance to watch this video yet? I didn't, but I might actually tune into the actual event if I can. I'm sort of interested. I don't know. Daniela, what about you? Yeah, I haven't seen this video oh either, Lord. but I'm really looking forward to uh, to Sunday. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm glad Daniela actually plans on watching for sure. Julie, I'm a little surprised <laughs> that you're up in the air about it. I mean, considering you do work 
in the musical or in the theater community and you're not sure if you're going to watch it, I'm a little disappointed. But I, I'm excited. Yeah, John Legend has a great voice. I don't know that his voice exactly fits that rock tenor that Jesus should have as written. But this show has been done in so many different ways over the years that I, you know, I think you can modify it and make it work. To fit a lot of voices, and he's got a great voice. So I'm I'm excited about this. Of course, Sarah Bareilles is awesome. Brandon Victor Dixon, not super high on Alice Cooper, but you know Norm Lewis is in it. Julia, this past weekend we went and saw Cruel Intentions off Broadway, and Lauren Zacharin is in it. You can see her dancing around in that video. So uh, Heath Saunders from uh, uh, Great Comet, he's featured heavily in some of these in some of the dancing that's going on in that video. So um, lots of good stuff. I'm excited. I'm sure I'll have a full review sometime early next week, depending on our recording schedule. All right, so let's jump to this week's theater throwback. Great, so today we are going back to March 29th, 1966, which was the opening night of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman at Broadway's Alvin Theater. The musical was written by Charles Strauss, Lee Adams, David Newman, and Robert Benton, and this original Broadway production was directed by Hal Prince. As you may have guessed, the show is based on the comic book character Superman. The plot revolves around the ongoing battle between Superman and a sort of mad, evil scientist named Dr. Abner Sedgwick. And also, as you may have guessed, this show definitely flopped. It only played 129 regular performances and lost its entire investment of $400,000. I realize that statement doesn't carry much weight today, but I promise that was a lot of money back in the day. They did manage to make their superhero fly, though, with only a 19-day preview period, so I guess that's a win. But despite all of its commercial failure, Superman truly wasn't the worst show in the world. It wasn't universally hated like a lot of flops, and it's definitely had a decent afterlife. The New York Times has a history of really loving this show. Stanley Kaufman claimed that it was easily the best musical so far that season. To put that into perspective, by the time of his review, Man of La Mancha and Sweet Charity had already opened that season, both of which went on, as we know, to be Uh, far more successful. Look, I love me anything Superman related, but (laughs) really? That seems like a little bit of an over-exaggeration based off what I know about this show. Yeah, I don't know. This guy loved it. So unlike most flops, this show got a wonderful review in The Times, and also unlike most flops, it managed to pick up a few Tony nominations. Jack Cassidy, Michael O'Sullivan, and Patricia Morand were all nominated for the performances, but as I just said, this was the season of Man of La Mancha, Sweet Charity, and also MAME, so unfortunately Superman was unable to slip into the best musical category and was overshadowed when it came to actual wins. Amidst this fairly strong Broadway season, Superman struggled to find its audience and close after about four months. However, about a decade after its short Broadway stint, Superman did return, this time on TV. The show was compressed into a short 90-minute special for ABC, which aired in February of 1975. It was a big, campy mess, and the entire thing is on YouTube. If anyone wants to see it, I recommend it. Um, and over the past decade or so, the musical has been popping up pretty frequently here and there. Most notably, in 2013, Encore staged the show with Edward Watts, Will Swenson, and Jenny Powers in the leading roles. And going back to the New York Times and their love of this show, Ben Brantley actually praised the intentional two-dimensionalness of the show and even deemed it a critic's pick. So there we have it, definitely one of the less depressing flop stories out there. 
Yeah, and actually, um, if either of you guys are familiar with the web series submissions only, the um, that actually that show which had a, a great run, including on Broadway World for a couple seasons with some big Broadway names behind it, it actually had its roots in a production of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's a Superman. The web series creators Andrew Keenan Bolger and Kate Weatherhead, um, I believe they worked together on the Dallas. Ooh, Dallas Summer Music, no, Dallas Theater Center production uh, of a revised script of that. And I could be getting this all wrong, but I believe that's where they first started the idea for this show. But it's one that has, like you said, Daniel, it had a lot of good reviews. And what's interesting about this from a, the dorky comic book guy on me is that they use Superman and Clark Kent, but and they have Lois Lane, but in the original one, they don't have any of his villains. Um, they, they don't have Lex Luthor. They don't have Jimmy Olsen. It's really kind of weird that they've kind of nipped and tucked which characters they used from the canon and which ones they've kind of made up on their own. I think over subsequent years and revisions, they've tried to add more in, but you know they probably could have sprung for the rights to a few more characters if they wanted to make it successful. Anyway, all right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt. And subscribe to something like a pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Let's go, uh, Daniela, first. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Daniela Parcel and on Instagram at Daniela Parcelloel. And Julie, what about you? I am on Twitter at Julie Musbeck. All right. Julie and I will be back tomorrow to wrap up your week. Till then, have a good Thursday. All right, and then John Lennon gives John. Nope, sorry, nope. John Lennon did not do a Facebook Live yesterday. He did not. I know you're on like a lot of Nyquil right now, Julie. But oh, uh, Sudafed. The box okay. is almost gone. No, they need to have a uh, a Breaking Bad intervention with you or something. <laughs>